1: Hi, welcome to the NASCAR BC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined today by Dale Jarrett, NASCAR Hall of Famer, appropriate DJ because we're coming off the all-star race at I think what many would consider NASCAR's return to a Hall of Fame type track. North Wilkesboro Speedway returns to NASCAR for the first time since its final cup race in 1996, hosts the all-star race this past weekend. Big weekend, obviously, you had Cup Series all-star race, you had the truck race, you had Late model racing going on, and by all accounts, it just seemed like a huge revival of this racetrack. I wasn't there. I was not at another iconic track. I was in Indianapolis Motor Speedway for Indy 500 qualifying. I know you weren't there, but you were watching from afar you guys did motor mouse this morning. So I know that you talked to people who are there and Jeff Burton and Kyle Petty. Burton said it was a lot of happy at North Wilkesboro Speedway, a revival of racing, as he put it. What did you see from afar? And what did you make
2: about NASCAR going back to that place? Yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously there was tremendous amount of hype leading up to it, but you know, I think it lived up to the hype. I mean, it was a huge event and that's, Basically, especially this day and time, that's what you're looking for, events that, that make a difference. And, that, and that's people what people want to be a part of, and it's what they want to see. And I don't care. I, I don't even know the number uh, of tickets that were sold. I uh, don't care how many fans there really were in the stands there. You know, I'm sure it was something over 25,000, probably closer to 30, somewhere in there. All I know is it was jam-packed and you couldn't have put another person in there. And that's appealing to the eye. And so I know that, that NASCAR had to be thrilled. Uh, certainly Marcus Smith and and his people had to be thrilled with what they saw. That that, that goes a long way. And, and the fans telling us, you know, what they really want and, and look for uh, in events to happen. Most compelling race? No, but how many can we go back over the years of the Winston, the All Star races? Kyle Petty made this point uh, on our Motor Mouth Show, and that how many races were all that great? Yeah, we had some crashes at the end, people battling, and things like that. But yesterday was just more about one driver showing his superiority. Uh, over others in, in difficult situations and the difficult situation was just a worn out racing surface I mean you talk 27 years you I mean basically the thing sitting there and weathering and heck I can I don't remember a ton about 96 race matter of fact until somebody sent me a picture I didn't even realize I'd finished third because I never thought that I did very well there but I can always remember that it never had any grip and so I know it didn't sit there for 27 years and gain any grip. So uh, <laughs> it, it was a huge challenge for the drivers and the teams, uh, especially with these cars that are showing to be a handful uh, on the short tracks anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, you'd expect a track, like you said, that's been sitting there for 27 years with virtually no activity. They've had a couple of races, but not a lot for a long time. There were just weeds growing through it. And that's pavement that goes all the way back to 1981 was the last time they repaved it. And Marcus sure. Smith, Uh, Chairman of Speedway Motorsports that owns the track, of course, said that he intends to bring Cup back there in some form or fashion, but they're trying to hold off on repaving it. So I found that interesting. But, you know, you brought up, uh, you didn't have the most illustrious record at Wilkesboro. I looked it up before we started. 19 starts, and you said it. Your career best was a third in that final race, that final Cup points race. Maybe not the final cup points race there ever, but the most recent one they had in 96. So w- when you heard they were going back there, were you happy about it? Obviously, it's got a great kind of reputation of being a throwback old school place, but you didn't have a lot of success there. I mean, when, <laughs> what were your initial reactions or impressions about going back to a place maybe where you weren't as good, but, you know, NASCAR kind of thrived?
2: Yeah, they, I had to put my thoughts aside. You know, it it, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It was different, and, and I never really found a, a great feel for it. You know, fortunately, you know, Todd Parrott came along and, and got me something that that I could drive around there. Uh, he knew apparently more about what I was looking for than I knew over those years. So it was nice to get uh, one good run out of the way, and anytime you finish behind Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt on a short track, you're, you're not too upset with that. So uh, that was good. But I, when it was announced, I, I thought it was a great idea. I, I did not know what type of racing we may see. That was a concern. But again, it became more about the event. And, and that's what, you know, any all-star uh, event, I don't care if you're talking Major League Baseball, NBA, hockey, uh, NFL's gone in a totally different direction with their basically all-star game, uh, their Pro Bowl. So things are, it's more about, everything that goes on around it. And, and if you happen to get an exciting race in, in, in our world out of it, then, then that's just a bonus. And, and that's certainly what this weekend was going to be more about. These cars are difficult enough uh, on tracks that these people know. And so, you know, the majority of the, the guys in the race until they got there and, and practiced on Friday and, and some ran in the truck race on Saturday and, you know, had never been there and, and competed in a race at North Wilkesboro. So uh, to throw them out there and and expect and think that we might have this three wide, exciting finish at the end, a uh, un- little unrealistic, but it's a great venue. I I, I like going back and, and celebrating the history of this sport because, you know, our country's gotten to where we don't want to celebrate too much what what has happened in our past, but this I, I like to see our sport being able to do that because you know North Wilkesboro was a big part uh, of why this sport continued to grow uh, through the the 80s and 90s uh, until we quit racing there. So uh, it was great to see that, and the, the fan support was just unbelievable. And I know talking to Kyle and and Jeff Burton there, a good vibe and a good scene to be a part of. I had friends that were there that were telling me, you know, what a cool experience that it was. So I I think it was a huge success. Will we see a race there, a points race? I I don't see why not. You know, that's no reason. I I do think, now I'm going to say that if I need to call Marcus Smith and say, put some pavement and some asphalt down there, uh, let's go ahead. I don't care if he puts concrete down. Whatever he, you know, the the surface just needs to be redone. and, And I think that we will see better racing then.
1: Again, I wasn't there, so I didn't have a chance to talk to a lot of drivers, DJ. Uh, But I know that I think Dale Jr. is is kind of lobby for the same, that they, they would both like to keep that surface the same. Take me through like pros and cons. Like what would be the pros for keeping a surface that's been there for 40 plus years the same? And I know that drivers like worn pavement and tire management, but it sounds like what you're saying, like at some point you have to put down something new.
2: Yeah, I, I think that you, in my opinion, you, you've had your event there now. So if you're wanting to lobby for, for a race, I, I just think that it needs some payment. And I realized that I didn't like that as a, a driver either, that newness of it. But but they seem to be willing to do enough events uh, that, that you could make it to where whatever surface you put down there was, was able to get enough time on it to, to get it a little bit worn. And if you do that, uh, then it's not just going to be a one groove. But yesterday was pretty much a one groove track in itself, anyway. If you got out of the very bottom, and Kyle Larson took the bottom to a whole new level uh, when he started using uh, the concrete uh, apron, uh, especially off of Turn Four, to his advantage. Uh, so, you know, I I think you could you would still have people searching around and, and looking for that uh, opportunity to do that. I I wouldn't even be opposed if you took the racetrack and made it uh, variable banking uh, going up in the corners. You, you still have your uphill and downhill sides of, of the tractor where uh, it's downhill going into turn one, uphill uh, towards turn three. So I think that, that you have that. Uh, is enough of a difference, but, you know, even putting, I'm not saying it needs more banking, but if you just add a little bit as you go up, then then you might see the racetrack spread out a little bit and it might make for uh, somewhat of better racing. So that, that would be my thought. I I understand the 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 worn out surface and, and it brings out all the skills, but sometimes you find out that one or two people have way more skills at certain type of, of tracks and, and surfaces like that than others do.
1: Yeah, certainly we saw the skills of one driver in particular, and I want to get to Kyle Larson at some point. I mean, I, I think that was a cool part of this, DJ, that an all-star race should be about the superstars. And to me, yeah. Kyle Larson right now is the quintessential can-drive-anything-anywhere superstar of NASCAR. So I think it was fitting he won this race. I think, as you mentioned, I, people should check out Motor Mouse. I think KP said it really well as to what the all-star race is about. It doesn't, unfortunately, always produce... The greatest racing. And I, I, you know, is that format? Is it because they change all the time? I don't know. Maybe it's just a function of it's just its own entity. But I think KP made a really good point that the idea is a celebration of NASCAR a celebration of the sport, which, you know, we have an NBC sports executive who always stresses the importance of big events. This was a big event. And you you made a good point there, I I thought, DJ, about how Wilkesboro had been a part of NASCAR's rise. And I think that was why there was such atmosphere, such scenes surrounding this. I mean, it opened in 1947, same year as Martinsville, but unfortunately kind of got left aside as NASCAR made its big rise in the 90s. I'm curious if you can take me back to 96, that final season at Wilkesboro, maybe in that final race. Like, what was the vibe then? I mean, we know the vibe this past weekend was and past week was terrific there, but... What was the vibe like when it was reaching the end of its run in 96 and was there any hesitation for drivers? Was there any like, hey, we shouldn't be doing this? What What was the vibe back then in NASCAR?
2: Yeah, I, I think at that time, you know, th- there were a number of tracks that were starting to be built. There were a lot of tracks that uh, in, in other parts of the country that that this was an opportunity for us to expand NASCAR into some markets that we weren't, where we didn't have tracks. So let's have tracks and, and events. I, I think that we were buying into that because we did see this huge rise and it was fun to be a part of the sport right at that time. We certainly understood history was a big part of our sport, but it seemed that we had enough of those tracks at that particular time uh, that we could c- continue to run at, that losing North Wilkesboro not that we wanted it to happen, but if it needed to happen to further expand and, and to help our sport grow, to get away from that "quote unquote" so-called you know southern sport, and, and that's all that it was, that, then this was a, a step that we needed to take. I, I remember there still being a huge crowd there. Uh, you know, we took a picture um, out at the start finish line. It was something that we always wanted to remember, it just in case nothing ever happened there again, or we didn't have cup racing back there. So I think that everyone knew that, that it was going to be a change. We, we were hoping and buying into the fact that the change that we were looking at were going to be bigger and better uh, for the sport. So it was a big picture event to, to look at and happening, but w- without that happening, we we couldn't have happened what happened yesterday in 2023, uh, you know, 27 years later, it, it became a huge part of our sport once again, and uh, I ju- I just really hope that you know there's an opportunity there uh, for more racing because I I really think that short tracks to me are you know it's obviously where this sport started, uh, it needs to continue in that direction. I, I understand that you know the, the big rage over the last few years has been let's let's add another. A road course. Now we're adding a street course uh, with Chicago coming up. New things are good. And, and this was actually something new, but but short track racing is fun uh, if it's done in the right way. And I think there's a place for an event, uh, a regular season event to, to happen at Wilkesboro.
1: Yeah, it certainly seems like short tracks are where things are headed. I think you're right. We were on the road course tip for a few years now there, and now it does seem like it's progressing in this direction with, Fontana possibly being changed over. And just to contextualize what you were saying earlier, I think this is kind of fascinating to think about. Like, yeah, when Wilkesboro closed the next year, Fontana and Texas opened up. Then you had Vegas the year after that in 98. And then Homestead in 99. A few years later, you had Kansas and Chicagoland in 2001. So you're talking like a half dozen intermediate tracks all opening up within Five years of Wilkesboro closing, and now here we are, 27 years later. <laughs> Wilkesboro has reopened, and some of those tracks have either lost races, or in you know Fontana's case, they're being changed over. A lot of ch- talk about what's going to happen to Texas. Can you wrap your head around all that <laughs> and like how much <laughs> things have changed? Because I'm sure in '96 you never thought that NASCAR would be going back in that direction and leaving. Well, not really leaving, but certainly downsizing its presence in some of the bigger markets to go back to its roots.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, I applaud NASCAR and Marcus Smith, uh, who with their company, they have always been forward thinking and and looking, you know, and thinking about what's best for the sport. And things do change. What the fans want changes. I'm not saying that anyone was happy when we were leaving North Wilkesboro in 1996, that that was the end of it. But I think a lot of people understood about it. Uh, the, the race fans and and that area did not want to lose it because everywhere that we go, it's a huge economic factor and and boost uh, for the economy uh, in that part of the country wherever it that is. And so you, you didn't want to see them struggle, having no idea that it might just completely shut down. You would have thought that maybe you know somewhere along the way there was would still have been an opportunity to have lower series and things like that racing there and, and continue to have it. you know, the people that, you know, Speedway Motorsports saw that that might not be the case. Uh, so what they wanted to do, their monies were going elsewhere. But now, again, these things change and, and what people are looking for and where they find the excitement in the racing, even though, you know, there again, we we I'm, I'm going to put aside... The the racing side of it that happened there last night, because I think that can be remedied in a number of ways that that we can see uh, more exciting racing there if if that opportunity is given. But, you know, you have to be willing and and ready and able to to change uh, because, you know, at the time in nine in the the mid late 90s, it, it was all about we were running these tracks every stand that we had every seat was filled pretty much at every racetrack we were going to whatever was built that's how many people came there uh, that seats were available and so it was a great time and so why not build bigger and better places and you know speed was something that everybody wanted to talk about too you know here you know our stock cars were 200 miles per hour and and you know that's a a number that everybody likes to hear because, you know, that separates you from a lot of other things and and shorter tracks and things. So you talk about speed for a while. You know, now it's, again, it's about the event and and the competition. And I think that's what, you know, why the Coliseum has been successful for a couple of years now for the Clash. It's not a great venue for stock cars to actually race on, but it has been entertaining. And, and, you know, the fan support has been good. So uh, let's not just say that, We can't go back somewhere uh, or take a two mile track at Fontana and change it into a shorter track, because there's no doubt that over a span of 10 races, if you're going to have at a two mile track versus a three quarter of a mile track, which I think is something that they're that's kind of the area they're talking about uh, in Fontana that. In a 10 race fan, you're going to have more exciting races out of that three quarter mile track than you are at a two mile track uh, over a period of time. So I think fans are, you know, that's what they want to see. Not saying they want to see crash and and all of that, but you're going to see more excitement most of the time from the short tracks.
1: I want to touch on the racing because I, I think they do want more compelling racing on the short tracks in general. And, th- and this is one instance in which I think it's, yes, the racing was just disappointing at North Wilkesboro, but it wasn't an anomaly, unfortunately. I mean, I had you on the podcast last month, DJ, and we were talking after Martinsville, where there were a lot of driver complaints about how the car raced at Martinsville. And I think we heard a similar refrain after Richmond. And even going back to last year, certainly there's been a lot of talks about how does NASCAR optimize the next gen for short track racing. So I feel like we covered a lot of this ground already last month after Martinsville, but let's just touch on it again, because short track package, I know you said no shifting, maybe bump up the horsepower, maybe tweak the tires after watching Wilkesboro, Do you feel like that's yeah. still the direction NASCAR should be looking at?
2: Yeah. I, I think that those are still the areas that, that NASCAR has to take a look at because I don't, you know, one thing that I, I've said that, that makes this car difficult I don't care what short track you go to, whether it's dirt, asphalt, concrete uh, across the United States. Every one of the cars that you'll walk through the pit area at those racetracks are offset. So that, that's taking and, and moving to where you have more weight on the left side of the car. You know, the right side tires are going to be out further uh, than, than the left to where the car will corner better drive better. And and then when it drives a little bit better like that, then you can put on a better show. And, and that's every series across the country. I don't know anybody that runs straight up cars on a short track anywhere. And so, uh, you know, we had that before the next gen car and we had great short track racing uh, to, to speak of for the most part. And, and I'm going to throw in something besides what we talked about that you could look at. Uh, with the no shifting and and the more horsepower, always puts it in the driver's hands. I think Goodyear certainly has to get involved uh, with the tires uh, in helping these drivers be able to put on a better show. But there's one thing that Ryan Newman told me, and he used a phrase at Darlington when I was talking to him as he got back into the car and, and into this uh, particular car for the first time. I said, "Right," I said, "So getting into this car the first time, how does it drive?" and He looked for a second and he said, straight. (laughs) And so then I was confused. And then he started to explain what the car was about, the suspension, the independent rear suspension, which had never been on a a stock car in NASCAR before. You know, it's made to go straight. And you have to do things to make it not do that. So obviously the majority, well, all races, whether it's a road course or, or the ovals, you have to make the car turn. And, and we'll t- we're talking about short tracks here. So to do that, then you have to have the driver to have the ability to withstand what you have to do to make this car, you, you don't ever really see them rotate, but you see them turn, some turn better than others and are hung out. And the drivers, that can do that are the ones that are going to win more races. Kyle Larson proved that last night, that the guys would have had a better chance of beating Kyle Larson if that would have actually been on a dirt track uh, yeah. last night instead of on that slick asphalt. You know, he's just so good at being able to move around and find a grip and making his car rotate and do the things that need to do. So I think that that's something that NASCAR has to look at, is what is it that we can do without... Completely changing the car because I know they want to keep the cars as similar as they possibly can. You know that was the whole idea of this next gen car. But what can we do to help this short track racing in some other ways? And that would be figure out something from the and the drivers and and these smart engineers that are on every one of these teams can tell you how to do things that would help everybody. Otherwise, we're just going to have a few short track winners along the way. I believe.
1: So the goal would be to kind of get the car to rotate. More, or, yeah, yeah, more, more, okay.
2: yes, yeah, with, with without having to make the car so loose that only a few drivers, and so when it gets so loose, you get so loose into the corner, you can't make a charge and, and try to make a pass to the inside of someone, uh, on the exit if you can't get in a guess. And we saw at times, uh, I think it was through the, the open maybe, uh, last night, um, that. Uh, they were showing some of the throttle and, and guys weren't even getting when they got the tires worn in that race They weren't even 60 70 percent of throttle uh, all the way down the straightaway because they just couldn't get in the gas So uh, trying to figure out how to make them rotate and, and it was interesting in talking to Ryan Newman I had watched practice at Darlington and noticing that you didn't see the cup cars rotating So that was what I saw on Saturday while I was there. Then I watched the Xfinity race which are the old style cars, and you could actually watch, physically see those cars take a set and rotate, and, and that's the drivers that had the better cars, and eventually were up front and winning the race.
1: Interesting. Well, certainly no better, no driver was better at it last night than, of course, Kyle Larson wins the all-star race again, and I think there was a stat, DJ, during the race where Mike Joyce said something effective that North Wilkesboro marked close to 200 tracks that Kyle Larson has raced at in his career. Obviously, yeah. a lot of those yeah. are dirt, so I don't know how much that would translate, but to your point, like I'm sure it helps him in some ways, and I, you know, I heard you and Burton and uh, KP talking about this earlier on Motor Mouths, that the key to Larson's success last night at Wilkesboro was that he found that sweet spot off turn four where you could get down on the flat with all four of his tires on the concrete and just kind of do that straight shot into four where he was almost like just instead of arcing it, you know, we're used to seeing Larson yeah. go up by the wall and just rim ride. He, he was just cutting almost across the grass <laughs> into four. Can you, yeah. can you analyze that? Your your driver perspective, is that kind of what you saw with Larson?
2: Yeah, sure did. And, and you know, there are a couple of things here. The, this young man is so talented. And, and when you go and, and you have events like this, in case you forget how good he is, it reminds you just how good he is, and and I think he's probably the best at adapting to changing racetracks, whether that's dirt, and, and I know that his dirt background has helped him be able to do this, because that's what you have to do on dirt. I remember my dad telling me that, uh, that when he raced all the way back in the 60s, you had to be willing to, to adapt and change your line, and we have tracks that you have to do that in, in Nashville. Matter of fact, in the Coke 600 this weekend, they're going to have to adapt to Changing conditions, because you start in the daylight, it's going to be a hot, slick racetrack, and then your fastest laps of the night are are going to be those last 150 miles of the race when the track is cooled down the most. So a lot of changing conditions there. But what Kyle Larson did, and the other thing that was interesting, was him talking about that he spent no time in the simulator seeing what North Wilkesboro was about, even though he had never been there. He was going to run the truck race. He relies on his skills and his feel of the car uh, and truck. Uh, to to get the job done. If you go back and watch the truck race, that's something down on that concrete part of the racetrack coming off of turn four to be able to drive straight and in the gas more than anyone else uh, through that entire weekend. That's where he made his time. He found that he was able to make his car do that. uh, And others, once they saw what he was doing, they couldn't make their cars do that and do it as well. And, And one time in the telecast tonight, Fox did a great job of, of what they call their ghost car, really, and, and they showed Larson uh, versus uh, Bubba Wallace, and Bubba actually beat him for three quarters of that racetrack. He was ahead of Kyle Larson on the particular lap that they were showing, and Larson was actually about a half car length behind him whenever they got to that portion of the track, and when Larson powered up, and went to the start finish line then, Larson was a full car length ahead. Wow. So from that point, he was a car length and a half better than the second place car, Bubba Wallace. And that's how much he was beating them every single time, just in one portion of the track. So you you have to admire his ability to, to be able to do that when Bubba Wallace ran a great race and, and he beat everybody else there. Uh, but he beat a man that, that's just more talented uh, than most that we've seen come through this sport.
1: Yeah. He's got that unfair advantage, certainly behind the wheel and certainly will be a favorite going into the Coca-Cola 600. You mentioned it, DJ, this is Memorial day weekend coming up a uh, huge weekend. We got the Indy 500 on NBC on uh, Sunday, May 28th, of course, after that, we've got the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, you won this race in 1996, and I heard you tell this fascinating story earlier on Motor Mouth, so I'll let you retell it, that after, what, 400 laps, 600 miles, four-plus hours, you were this close to not winning the Coca-Cola 600, but yeah. luck fell on you.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, 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 Sometimes you have to be... Really good to to win races, and sometimes you have to be really good and really, really lucky. And, you know, this was 96, our first year of the 88 car. Um, You know, we had been lucky already to this point. We had won the Daytona 500. I actually think we won the Clash that year also at Daytona. So things were going really, really well. You know, we put ourselves in a position with this win at the Coke 600 to go race for a million dollars at Darlington uh, later that year. And uh, without, we had finished second at Talladega that year. So we could have won the first three and and got the million dollar check. But anyhow, the Coke 600 that night, I think we started 530, 545. We had at least two rain delays, uh, if my memory is correct. I'm pretty sure that when I took the checkered flag, it was somewhere around 1245 a.m. in the morning and it had been a long night and uh, I had a great car did everything that I wanted it to do Um, you know we we beat the field and Dale Earnhardt would finish second to me and you beat him there in 600 miles you've done something and we beat him pretty handily Uh, but so I something that I found out after I'd been to the media center and my car had been through inspection Doug Yates called me over and he said I don't know if you want to see this but this is what we have with our car and just glad that it wasn't 601 miles because we probably wouldn't have won that race. And so in, in 1996, uh, you had a pulley on the front and a bolt that went through that, that turned the dry sump pump, which pumped the oil uh, from the oil tank and through the engine and back through. This bolt broke somewhere on the last lap or in my cool down lap. Uh, because it wasn't started up again, uh, only for me to get there. So somewhere along that way, uh, we don't know exactly where it was, but that bolt was broke. So I wasn't going to make much more than a lap before the engine was going to expire because I was going to have no oil pressure. And so, yeah, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that I had the checkered flag, I had the trophy in hand uh, before I ever saw that. But it just shows you that you know, the parts and pieces are, are basically made to go a certain amount of time. We were very, very, very lucky. So, you know, I'm out, that's the only 600 I ever won. So it, I was even more lucky looking back on it since I never won another one that I was able to get to the finish line. And uh, Dale Earnhardt did find out about that <laughs> the next week, and uh, he was not happy. He said, you know, to have a car that good and to be that lucky is not fair in one night.
1: All right, that was definitely my next question was knowing that Earnhardt finished second if he had found out. if yeah, found out. not happy. Did, not did, happy did you him. poke the bear at all? Did you Did you say, hey man, this close? Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I told him, I said, I was too far ahead. I could have probably coasted around anyway and beat you for another lap. <laughs> he didn't take that very kindly. <laughs> uh, I love it. <laughs> I love
1: the old stories and I love uh, honoring the, the history of NASCAR. And we're going to do that this weekend as well with the Cook 600. DJ, you're going to be uh, one of the grand marshals of this race with Jeff Burton, with Kyle Petty from NASCAR NBC and also Bobby Labani. And I know that's not the first time the big 75th anniversary special year for NASCAR. You've been a part of these ceremonies really throughout the season. What's it like being a part, uh, you know, being a dignitary like that for this race and what's it been like this year, kind of being so invested in this 75th celebration?
2: Well, I, let me say this, that uh, I'm, um... Honored to be a part of it once again. And um, this 75th year has been extremely special to this point. The one thing that makes me realize, especially when you get multiple opportunities, that you're really, really old. And and I'm okay with that. Um, Yeah, As long as I'm still able to play golf and get out and then come to the races and have fun, too, uh, I'm good with everything. But yeah, so I was a part of the the Daytona 500, being a Grand Marshal there, and then drove the pace car at Darlington and and all a part of the, the 75th. Uh, anniversary celebration there uh, just a couple of weeks ago. That was so much fun. And, and I have to say that extremely honored by Coca-Cola. I've had a relationship and partnership with Coca-Cola uh, basically started in 1997. Then in 1998, we had the, the Coca-Cola racing family of drivers to, to begin at that point in time. So Kyle Petty, Jeff Burton, Bobby Labonte, and myself were were a part of that. So this is a 25 year celebration for that now. And uh, looking back, we had a lot of fun making commercials, just having different events. Coke did things in a different way. And, and so, um, you know, they brought uh, the four of us back together. The great thing is, is, you know, we're going to be Grand Marshals at a race and, and you know, give the command here uh, at a race that we all won. Pretty cool to think about, you know, NASCAR's longest race. And we were all able to, to go to victory lane uh, at Charlotte. So uh, uh, pretty cool. We, you know, it's a difficult race to win. Uh, as I just pointed out, sometimes you have to be lucky to, to do it. And I think Burton actually did it twice. And Bobby might have done it a couple of times. But he was always good there. And, and so uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. Looking forward to this. And uh, again, it's, it's such a tremendous motorsports day. Uh, when you talk about, you know, Formula One, the the Indianapolis 500 and, and then the Coke 600 capping everything off.
1: Yeah, it is really cool day. And uh, re- you're right. Really cool, DJ, that all you guys have won this race, especially given your relationship with Coke as well. And, and I agree with you. Like, I think sometimes that gets overlooked, the amount of marketing and promotion. I remember, you know, we talk a lot about the UPS commercials, but coke Cole did some pretty cool commercials with all of you guys back then the late 90s early 2000s that that's uh were, were definitely memorable so let's talk race preview real quick coke 600 i'm sure it starts and ends with larson and hendrick um but <laughs> but i i know the, yes. the gibbs cars have been strong recently on the mile and a half so toyota's shown some strength there how do you see this uh playing out over over four plus hours and you know like you said totally different track from the beginning in daylight to the end at night when you're running your fastest laps. I'm sure you're exhausted four hours in the race. Like, who do you like Sunday night at Charlotte Motor Speedway?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it, as good as the Toyotas have become, and, and they have. And, you know, now you, you you throw into the mix when you talk about all of those. Uh, you know, Ty Gibbs is starting to really show that, that he's ready to drive these cars, learning more about him about him putting himself in a position. So it's not just his teammates uh, that you're talking about with, with Christopher Bell and Martin Truex Jr. and Denny Hamlin, who are accomplished and, and winners in, in, in the Cup Series. You know, you're know, you adding a, another young driver, and, and certainly Tyler Reddick and Bubba Wallace, um, and, and in particular Bubba Wallace. Uh, we know uh, that, that he's capable of winning on mile-and-a-half track, as he did at Kansas last year. Uh, so you have to put him into the mix. So the, the Toyotas are, are going to be heard from, I just still believe that, that the Chevrolets and in particular Hendrick Motorsports uh have an advantage. Their their cars are outstanding, uh, but their driver talent. William Byron is doing a just a phenomenal job. Chase Elliott, I think, is now seems to me getting better and better each week. You know, you can't just sit out and go back in. And, and expect a driver to to start winning immediately. But what I'm seeing with Chase is he's getting more comfortable with the cars and the changes that were made while he was having to be on the sidelines and and, and watch this. So um, uh, I, I, w- I just expect that you have to beat Hendrick Motorsports. I think Trackhouse can possibly do that, especially with Ross Chastain. He's finding himself in the mix in a lot of ways this last month or so. Uh, but Larson is still the man to beat. He is just... You know, th- this is going back to his championship year, what I'm seeing. They didn't show this last year with this new car. But I think this, once again, it was about adapting and, and giving Kyle Larson just what he needs. And and uh, they're, they're starting Cliff Daniels and his team are, are figuring that out and-, and realizing what they have. So if you're going to win on Sunday night uh, through 600 miles, it's a grueling time. Uh, I don't care what car you're driving and, you know, what the tires are. Obviously, Goodyear does a great job with that. You, you have to be physically ready. Larson is that. I think all the racing he does helps him with that. And um, uh, if you're going to win, you're going to have to figure out a way to beat that 5 car this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if not for Misfortune and Ross Chastain, uh, Kyle Larson probably could have five or six <laughs> victories uh, already this season. He's, he's been in championship form. Uh, I hate to put you on the spot, but we've got 107th, Indy 500. Uh, 11 a.m. Eastern on NBC on Sunday. Uh, Peacock coverage starts at 9 a.m. Eastern and runs all the way through. I hate to put you on the spot, but any picks
2: for the uh, 107th Indy 500 winner? You know, gosh, that's that's so hard. Um, You know, when you look at that, the the series is so competitive. I mean, you know, between the the veterans that they have there and the, the new young drivers, that, that they have that are coming along and, and making themselves known. Something is telling me, and, and I don't know which young driver it's going to be. So I, I, I don't know that I can give you. Scott Dixon With is always a driver that comes to my mind that if you're going to win that race, you have to be him. I think he does just a fantastic job there and putting himself in position. But something tells me we're going to see a new young winner uh, at that race, and I'm not sure which one it is at this point in time, but but I think we're going to see a little bit of surprise, and I know experience pays off a lot, but these young drivers have the equipment and the talent to, to get it done, and, and they'll find themselves in the right position there, so I, I'm anxious to watch and, and see if that's the case, uh, and probably be like my fantasy lineup that I have no idea NASCAR exactly what I'm talking about most of the time, but uh, it, I think it's going to be a highly entertaining race.
1: Yeah, I think it will be, too. And usually, you know what you're talking about. And I agree with you. Like, I think it is going to be a young driver. You've got Alex Pelot on pole for Ganassi. Padua Ward is starting in the first three rows. And um, I, I certainly would be looking at either of those guys probably as my picks. So we shall see Sunday. And we'll also look forward to, to seeing you as well at Charlotte Motor Speedway. DJ, we loved having you at the Indy 500 last year. But great to see you being honored with Burton and KP at Charlotte. And uh, always great to have you on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Thanks for being here, Dale. Absolutely. Thank you, Nate. We appreciate Dale Jarrett for joining us on the NASCAR on NBC podcast. Thanks to motorsports manager, Emily Convoy for coordinating this episode and Zach Tanzaretti for some show notes and the final edit too for the motorsports on NBC YouTube page. You can check out the podcast there as well as more NASCAR America Motor Mouths content. You heard me mention that with DJ. He was on with Burton and Kyle Petty. Talking North Wilkesboro, talking Coca-Cola 600, you definitely want to check that out. Motorsports on NBC YouTube page. You always can find more news, columns, and analysis on NASCAR Talk and Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com. Please visit NBCSports.com NASCAR or NBCSports.com motors. And especially this week, it's the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 and it will be broadcast on NBC and Peacock. Coverage will get started Sunday, May 28th, at 9 a.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. And It will be on NBC and Peacock starting at 11 a.m. Eastern. Green flag around 12.45 p.m. Eastern. Again, this Sunday, May 28th, on Peacock and NBC. And all of the content you need, stories, interviews, lineups, start times, some big features I've been working on and we'll roll out this week, it'll all be on Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com motors. Again, that's NBCSports.com slash motors for all of your Indianapolis 500 online coverage. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast.
2: that it's the call of the crave and when the crave calls you know what to do try the five dollar bacon bundle because the only thing better than a white castle slider is a white castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon so pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider 1921 bacon cheese slider or chicken bacon ranch slider and also get a small fry for just five dollars with the five dollar bacon bundle white castle follow your crave